Hi, everybody. It's Emma from the Chapter House, and I want to say thank you for joining us. Today, we kick off our new series, Give an Elder a Mic, where we interview different elders from different communities and learn more about their lives, their work, and teachings. And today, I'm honored to welcome one of my biggest influences and someone that I admire greatly, um, and one of the Chapter House's biggest supporters, my dad, Tony Robbins. To interview him today as well, I'm joined by my sister, Isabella Robbins, who's my collaborator and close friend, and is a scholar, a curator, sometimes tribal employee for the Navajo Nation, sister, daughter, and res girl. And she's currently in her second year studying at Yale in a PhD program in the history of art department, where she's doing global contemporary indigenous art studies. She's also the Chapter House's board secretary, and she'll be interviewing my dad or Tony with me. Izzy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce our beloved guest, uh, Tony. Tony Robbins, dad to us, is a Danette elder, father, Che, fisherman, little league coach, music lover, and much, much more from Cameron, Arizona on the Navajo Nation. As a community leader and organizer, environmentalist, and educator, he has been one of the biggest inspirations for the founding of the Chapter House. As the natural resource manager for the Western Agency of the Navajo Nation, one of his recent accomplishments has been completing a huge project related to the former Bennett Freeze area, which will help many, many Navajo families living in the area, um, which maybe he'll talk about more a little later. Hi, Dad. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hey, um, good to be here. I'm glad to be here. So, Hi, Dad. Um, so before we get into our interview, I kind of just wanted to give you a moment. If there's anything that you wanted to add on to your bio or introduce yourself further, um, I understand that you're joining us from a hilltop there to get some internet service. So thank you so much. Uh, but I'll let you take it away and then I'll jump in with our questions. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm out here, out on the res, uh, out by my home, Hogan, uh, on a hilltop where I like to sit because it's got a nice view all the way around. Um, plus, I get good internet uh, reception here. Um, so, um, anyway, that's uh, where I'm at right now. Um, like to introduce myself um, as as you were, uh, as the, the daughters introduced me. I'm Tony, Tony Robbins. Um, my, um, I, I'm in the Navajo way. Those Navajos that are out there listening will recognize. Hopefully, we're figure out how we're related to each other. So, anyway, if, if not, I'll just, you can just call me Che, and I'll be happy with that. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Che is grandfather, so he is a Che, as was mentioned. Um, so, Dad, I'm really glad to see you here. Obviously, you and I communicate a lot, and especially over the past few months, we've been communicating a lot over video. Um, I know our new thing is hype or house party where we've been doing some drawing and games. So 
I know everybody's dealing with COVID in a different way. I just wanted to let our viewers know that generally I live part of the time with my dad on the Navajo Nation in Tuba City because of the work that I do with the Water Access Project, also known as the Navajo Water Project. And dad, you and I have a lot of time to sit together and talk. And those of you may know that my background is actually in the arts. And now I'm doing things like the Water Project on the res. And you and I talk a lot about combining those two worlds of human rights and community art centers and making sure that Indigenous peoples, both on and off res, have those opportunities. So I just really want to point out that because of a lot of these long convos, we've been able to work out how the chapter house is going to form and where we're going with that. But yeah, Dad, I haven't seen you since October because things on the Navajo Nation and in Los Angeles or on Tongva land, where I am now, are pretty serious with the virus. And I know it's been very impactful for you and many of our community members. And I just sort of wanted to start out with that question. You know, how has COVID changed your life over the past 10 months? And I wanted to hear a little bit about what you've been doing outside of things like Zoom calls or shifting your life when it comes to traditional ways and how you've been a Che, as we just mentioned. Well, as, as you all know, I think it, um, COVID has affected all of us in, in our lives in one way or another. Um, and same with myself. I, you know, had gotten used, have to get used to wearing a mask all the time. And uh, when I go out and about, being careful, you know, being six feet from everybody and that, um, and all those things, you know, it, it took a while to get used to it. I look at it as like, you know, every time you get in a vehicle, you have to put your seatbelt on. And after a while, it becomes a habit. I think uh, for me, you know, and wearing a mask and um, maintaining, you know, social distance and things like that has become a habit. And, and I think that we'll still have to continue to do those things. I did get my COVID uh, shot, um, vaccine shot um, this past Wednesday, and uh, I got the Pfizer version of it. So I'll, I'll get my booster in about another week or so. Um, so hopefully that will um, protect me a lot more. And so those are some things that it, um, I'm dealing with at the moment, but you're not here in the res, uh, got a lot of open space. I like, um, you know, generally I like being out in nature. So that's been kind of easy for me to do because I, I do like to just come out here and hang out, hang out out here, do a little bit of this and that and um, stay away from populated areas. So it's been not too difficult for me, but at the same time, you know, I like to, I like to go to Flagstaff and to Twin Arrows and, you know, go there and, which means, you know, being among people and enjoy, you know, visiting with people and things like that. But, you know, those things have changed and, and a lot of it is being done now over uh, social media and things like that. So, which is, um, has forced us, this whole COVID stuff has forced us to come into a more modern way of communicating, which has been, you know, one of those civil linings of um, this activity, you know, because it's now, I think a lot of people know how to use social media a lot better teleconferences, video conferencing, all those things like that. And so I think it has affected our lives that way. And I think those will continue to be such, you know, um, I've been in so many meetings, go to work and every day got two or three meetings that happens every day. And it seems like my, my work life is just one meeting after another these days. In the past, you know, you would go to a meeting someplace, travel an hour or two to get to your meeting spot and and meet for an hour, two hours, and then tra travel back the other way around, you know, spend a whole day to go to a meeting. 
now, you know, stay in your office and you've got three or four meetings going on, you know. Sometimes you got two of the two or three of them going on at once. So uh, that's, you know, the current uh, situation. Obviously, um, I think all of us, especially us Native Americans, we've lost a lot of good people, lost a lot of elders, a lot of lost relatives, you know. And even this morning, you know, I, I read that uh, one of my good friends that I've been working with in the former Benefries area had passed away. And I, I was not even aware that he was sick until I heard the news. And, you know, it, hits, it hit its home. I, you know, it uh, it was, you know, made me very sad that we had lost this great person. You know, he was he was my brother by clan. And, and but at the same time, we we're also working together on some of these joint projects. And he was a natural resource person, too. And so just to lose people like that is 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 are things that we won't be able to replace easily. And I think that's happening with um, our relatives and also another one of our medicine people that I knew had passed away this morning too. And so or not, I think he passed away a day or two, but I didn't hear about it until this morning. And just, you know, that, that, that feeling, you know, of lost every day, you know, when you hear about people and it's, it's hopefully we're dealing with it in a good way. And hopefully I'm dealing with it in a good way. And the only time I'll tell, you know, um, so Anyway, for right now, I mean, I feel I feel good. I, a certain amount of sadness is always there, but you do what you can to enjoy your life and make sure that you're taking care of the things that you need to take care of. So life goes on. Just have to make those small adjustments to address those current issues. That's the way I look at it. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm, you know, obviously I'm sorry for your loss and our community's losses. And with that said, you know, when we talk about traditions and COVID, what has been one thing that you've been doing that's traditional during COVID to stay safe or to help others? You know, ever since I was a kid herding sheep out here and doing certain things, you know, I got a lot of chances to go to ceremonies. Um, my parents, I grew up in a very traditional background, traditional family. You know, I'm a I'm an English language learner. I always remind that my kids when they tell me I'm being too Johnny or something like that, talking broken English or something. I tell them, Hey, I'm an English language learner, you know? So, um, so in that sense, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from my parents when they were here. They shared with me a lot of their wisdom and knowledge. And, and then also I know my dad did a lot of some herbalist stuff and, and my mom was not very knowledgeable about herbs and things like that. So I picked up a little bit of that and, having a background in natural resources and working out here doing vegetation inventories and things like that. And then you looking at some of the ethnobotany, you know, reports, you know, and things like that. And, and just uh, remembering the things that uh, were done for me, you know, with the medicines that were used, uh, the herbal medicines based upon that. And so I know that in order to protect yourself, you can go out and collect some of these herbs and, and use them to, um, bless yourself, you know, make teas and you know, drink them uh, to protect yourself and to improve your um, immunity, you know, those type of things. You know, I've been doing that when uh, relatives or friends need some help. And, you know, I'll make some tea, go collect some sage, let's go collect some oetzal, um, uh, those type of plants, uh, and bring them back and, and make some teas, you know, and share those with uh people who need it. So I've been doing a little bit of that. And plus, 
you know, I think it helps me remember those things and using traditional medicines to, to help in the current situation. So, um, and I, you know, I hear people saying that they do the same things and which, you know, I, I think is good uh, in one of those, um, several linings of the current situation, you know, is making some of our traditional practices, bringing some of those back and using it to address the current, current situation, which is, uh, me a, a good way to do these things, you know, and obviously we're, we've lost a lot of medicine people too, people who were very knowledgeable. They did certain ceremonies and, and now those are lost now because, you know, got COVID and died. So I, I feel like, um, those are, those are some things that are, are occurring right now. And hopefully we're out there protecting those knowledge holders um, so that we can continue to be, you know, Navajos uh, continue to know those ceremonies can continue to use them. So uh, a lot of our ceremonial lives have been put on hold because of COVID because a lot of um, the ceremonies require being in close proximity to each other, being in the same Hogan or same space, you know, close but because of the situation, you know, a lot of those things have been put on hold. So I think uh, once this uh, COVID situation is in a, has been um, in a better situation, I kind of hope that we'll be having lots of ceremonies to address the issues that we've gone through. Kind of looking forward to that, in a way. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I know it's been, it's definitely something that is obviously a big issue is, you know, losing elders and losing our traditions during COVID. And you have a really interesting background in terms of growing up traditional. And Izzy, I know you had a couple questions that you wanted to ask about that and discuss. Yeah, I think Emma and I and our other sisters all grew up hearing these funny stories and stuff like that. And I think I'm thinking specifically of like sheep herding and boarding school and you did the Mormon placement program, which is how you ended up living in San Diego for a while. And I just think for a lot of people, you hear sort of these like blanket stories about how those situations were bad for everybody. And that's not to say that that isn't true, but it's always interesting hearing your perspective and your stories because it just provides a different and more nuanced perspective. So I think people, including myself and Emma today, would be interested in hearing more about your childhood or maybe like a fun memory you have from any of those situations. Well, you know, I, I, I did grow up out here on the res. Um, you know, one of my first memories is just being out here with families and things like that. You know, we didn't have a whole lot. When you look at, I guess, the standards of the day, we were probably considered living in poverty. But at the same time, I don't re- ever recall going really hungry. I, you know, it seemed like my parents or had always provided for us in one way or another. Don't remember, you know, the only time I remember being hungry or, or being thirsty was when I was herding sheep and, and being out there for three, four, five hours and, and towards the end getting thirsty and hungry and wanting to get home to the comforts of, you know, the Hogan, you know. But other than that, I, I feel like I was, and I know my people, did have, you know, truly difficult lives. And, and I guess in a sense I did too, but at, when you're in the middle of it, living through those things, you know, it was kind of normal. That this is the way we lived. It was, I mean, I didn't know any better, I guess, but, and then, you know, it went to school. My parents were required to put us in school and I went to preschool out here and I went to the boarding school in Tuba City or from the, you know, they, at that time they used to call it, they didn't call it kindergarten. They used to call it beginner, you know, I was six years old when they put me in there. And, and I remember going there and getting, being dropped off for school. And I remember, you know, 
in this being in this strange place, you know, in that building actually, you know, and and all the kids are crying because you know they're they're missing their moms and their dads, and and Minnie is probably the first time they left, you know, their parents, and it's the same as with me, but I don't remember crying or I don't remember. But I remember kind of being a little scared. I remember being sad because, you know, I knew my, you know, I just dropped off with strangers and things like that. So that was my first experience uh, with being away from home and, and having to be um, sent away to school. But uh, my, my dad would come pick us up every two weeks. You know, he was working. He'd get paid. I assume he got paid like every two weeks. And, and on payday, he would come to Tuba City and pick us up. Uh, with my other siblings that were that were all going to school there, I you know rarely saw them because we we're all in different grades and different dormitories. But uh, so those are some things that I, I remember, and it was always good to have see my parents come and pick you up. And but then they brought you home and they had to go herding sheep, you know. And as I grew older, I I think it was a personal decision to go into this uh, Mormon placement program. When you go to the boarding school, uh, when you were a kid, you know. One of the questions your parents were asked was, which Christian church do you want your child to be participate in? You know, so they, you know, they had a choice, you know, some other type of Christian, which included the uh, Latter-day Saints. Uh, and so uh, we had, my parents had uh, known some of the Mormon missionaries out here. So they, I think that was one of the things that they knew a little bit about. So they would all put us in with the Mormons. So we ended up going to their Mormon church activities and things like that. So that's how I, I learned about the placement program. And I know my sisters, my older sister, my um, I have three sisters and they're all older than me. And I had five younger brothers. There were six boys, six, six of us boys. And, and I was the oldest of the boys. So I, you know, my older sisters, I guess they decided they wanted to go on placement, placement program. And, and they had signed up or somehow convinced my parents to sign them up. And they, they left and, and I continued to go to the boarding school and, when I was eligible, when I was 10 years old, I decided I wanted to go. I must have been nine years old when I decided I wanted to go because my first year was I was 10 years old when I went to California. And I remember getting on this big Greyhound bus or Continental Trailways, whatever it was, uh, bus that we got on. And same thing, you know, like you get on the bus and all these kids are crying, crying for their parents, crying for their moms, everything else. And I'm just sitting there, uh, you know, obviously sad and afraid to go away, but I, I, I just sat there and listened to everybody else, you know, and, uh, and I, and I was with my sisters too, my older sisters on, the, on that trip, you know, uh, still, you know, went there and went to California. Luckily I got, I got set up with a good family uh, who I still keep in touch with these days. And, and I was there for three school years in California. So those were like 10, 11 and 12 years old when I was there. And I learned a lot during those times. I learned, you know, I guess I, that's when I went, did a lot of English immersion, learned to be a good English speaker, got a good handle on that during that time, and and was exposed to just uh, another world. But every year, every um, fall, when it was time to go back to California, it seemed to get harder for me to leave. And then finally, I just wonder uh, what I was going to um, go back um, for in between my sixth and seventh grade years. Uh, I just... I just couldn't go. So I told my parents, you know, I don't want to go. Uh, I don't want to go back. Uh, it wasn't because I was having a bad experience. I just had a hard time leaving. So, so my parents, my dad tells me, well, 
you better call the um the kirby's the kirby's are the family that i stayed with in california in poway california and um so i made it made that difficult call and i remember you know crying and all those stuff you know making that phone call and and but they always told me you know you always have a place for for you here you're always you know part of our family now so i felt good about that and so and i think that was true because that this day, I still go visit them, and they're all very elderly now, the parents. But I, you know, the, the brothers that I had, they're, they're still around and uh, keep in touch with them from time to time. So those are some things, you know, uh, it was, I did learn, learn a lot when I was there. So I came back to, uh, to the res, stayed on the res, uh, and went to Tuba City Junior High School for my seventh grade year, you know, and did well. And went to high school in Tuba City, and so those are those are my you know childhood memories. My my education was here, and the things that I learned, and so my 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 schooling, I guess, uh, up to high school. I graduated okay. from Tuba City High School. Go Warriors! Go Warriors! Well, with that said, with mascots and everything, um, I appreciate you sharing that. I think you know, for my sisters and me, it's always really intense to hear that you left your home at age six. And then you went to a different state and religion was involved. Um, and so I know, you know, for me, it's always really surprising when you kind of just drop these things and say it like it's no big deal. And I think it can be pretty emotional um, thinking about that. And I know it's not necessarily for you, but, you know, we always really appreciate you sharing that information. I guess, you know, related to that, we said Go Warriors. You and I are both and Izzy alumni of Tuba City. The Padres are a very big love of yours baseball and I know you got that when you were in San Diego and so what are some of the things that you know we're talking about traditional which I want to get back into in a second but as a you know modern Navajo what are some of your favorite things that you want to tell us about and again baseball is one of them you're always listening to like dad rock like any other American type dad so what is something else that we should know about you like things that you like well um you know I like I mean I I think the thing about life is, I think one of the things that we always uh, strive for is to be happy, you know, and I think that's um, some of those things that I think personally I try to strive for, you know, put myself places where I can be, enjoy myself. And, you know, I like to eat good food, you know, I like to go to a nice restaurant, you know, and have some, a good, good meal. Those are, those are some of the pleasures of life, you know, and which I like to do from time to time, you know, um, also like to go and like you said, um, go to baseball. Baseball is something that I, I really enjoy. You know, I didn't, as a kid, I didn't play a whole lot of baseball. I didn't play baseball at all, um, pretty much. But I, you know, knew the game. When I went to California, to San Diego, when I was a kid, you know, um, my foster parent, the Kirby's, they, they took us to a uh, Padres game. And, and that's where I, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, to me, those are like your formative years, you know, when you really develop, you know, certain things, certain allegiances, maybe things that you will remember for the rest of your life. And so I was in San Diego, I just happened to go to some baseball games and I enjoyed it, you know, and it, as I grew older, I continued to maintain that love for baseball. I remember being out here after decided not to go back to California uh, during this uh, summers, you know, during baseball season, I remember tuning in, finding a the radio station from San Diego at night in the evening times. And I would listen to the games. I would listen to it on, on the AM radio back in the day when you could hear AM radios all over the place, you know, that had strong signals. 
And I remember looking forward to the evening when I could, you know, find that station in California in San, from San Diego, Tijuana, and listen to the Padres, you know, listen to the game. And that's how I followed them. And that was, you know, kind of like one of those little things being out here on the res without, you know, we had battery powered radios and things like that and didn't have um, electricity or water. But that was some things that, you know, you look forward to in the evening times, you know. So uh, growing up, I, you know, I enjoyed reading. I remember, you know, going to school and going to the library and checking out books. I, I love to read about animals, you know, horses and things like that, and, and who lived among them. I live, I, you know, like to read about some of the Native American stories, you know, most likely were probably written by non-Natives. But also, I love, as I grew older, I read a lot about history, a lot of history, historical books especially about places during like World War II. I, I did, I, re I read a lot of books about World War II, about the war in the Pacific. I probably read every book that was ever written about the war in the Pacific, just reading the stories about the people. Those are some things that I did. And I would come home uh, from school and I'd bring those books. I would, you know, going, going, going to school in Tuba City from here, it was a 45 minute bus ride, one there and back every day, you know. And so it allowed me to, Especially after school on the bus ride home, I would do my homework. So by the time I get back home, I'd basically finished my homework so I can go out here and do my chores, chop wood or whatever, you know, bring the sheep back in from wherever they were at, corral them up and things like that, help my parents out. Um, so I did those things. And then afterwards, after um, my mom would make some dinner and then after that, you know, sit and talk and just visit. And sometimes uh, un under the kerosene lamp, I would read. And the other thing was I always I used to buy those mad magazines and, and my dad used to kind of just look at me. And my parents would look at me because I'd be laughing to myself because of all the hilarious stuff that I was reading in that particular publication. And they used to kind of say, you know, they say, what are you laughing about? What are you reading there? It's one of those things I remember my parents kind of just not completely understanding that some of the humor that I was reading in there. But anyway, uh, so I did a lot of reading during those times and, um, it possibly was an escape for me being out here, not knowing, but uh, it, it it was good. I, I enjoyed reading. I, I I read a lot, you know, through my uh, adolescence and to my young adulthood. But lately, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of reading because I like I do social media, you know, Twitter and things like that. I read a lot of you know, Facebook posts. I get on Instagrams, view everybody's postings and things like that. So that keeps me busy, you know. I always, uh, even as I travel around, I always carry books with me just in case I catch myself someplace needing to just maybe my battery in my phone dies or something like that. I, and then I'll have something to read, you know? So, um, but other, those are things that I enjoy. I like to uh, do. I like to visit with people. I like to, especially you know, some of the older folks, you know, listen to them, listen to their stories and ask them questions. Uh, and, you know, I like to go out into nature. I like to take my granddaughter Wiley and, you know, go fishing, go, go out into the water, go on the water and, uh, or even just go hiking around and visit these nice places and uh, out here and just to be outside, you know, those are some of the pleasures. Those are things, some of the things I like to do. I like to go to Colorado up into the mountains, you know, camp in the mountains and, you know, go up there uh, in addition to fishing, you know, look at, you know, all the things that are there, the mountains, and then look at all the, the flora that's there, you know, looking at the plants and things like that. And uh, so, you know, those are some things that I like to do. And then I like to go home and just watch TV sometimes. You know, I'm not a big base football fan anymore. I, I still follow baseball. Uh, that's, you know, when if you come visit me during the summertime, in the evening, there's always going to be a game on in the background, you know. Uh, so that's that's like 
things that I do these days, you know, in addition to all, you know, all the necessary things I have to do every day. Nice. Thanks for that, Dad. I got a little emotional, so I had to turn my camera off. But anyways, in happier news, and you're talking about social media, and like, I think a lot of people really like your social media presence. You took over um, the Chapter House Instagram last week and was one of our most popular sort of social media interactions. So that was cool. But I think something that I'm interested in is that you're you're in tune with all these like things that I think are associated with like younger native people like land back and hashtag not your mascot. So I think we'd be interested in hearing kind of how you navigate that as an elder, but also somebody who works for the government and, you know, just how you grew up and stuff like that. And how do you advocate for those things while also navigating these different roles that you have? Yeah, just recently I, I took a training, you know, at work. Um, it was on intergenerational relationships, you know, how to deal with people outside of your generation. You know, me being a baby boomer and the, we did this little quiz, you know, it says, you know, what do you like to do? Basically, you know, um, boxes that the baby boomers are like this, millennials are, millennials are like this, Generation X are like this, Generation Z is like this, and certain things, you know, that identify those um, various generations. And for some reason, I looking through all those, checking all those things, and I was I fit in more with the millennials. You know the things that I, you know, they ask about. You know, I fit more with millennials. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, maybe it's because uh, my kids—they're all millennials. You know, in that generation, and that's probably why I trend. I trended, even though me being a baby boomer, I trended towards the millennials because I um, respond to what my kids are doing. You know, and what their interests are, and what their causes are, and you know. So I, I'm, I'm knowledgeable of that because you girls, you know, the things that you guys come involved with and the things that you guys tell me about, you know, tell you the truth. You know, I, I, I knew a certain amount, but well, you know, once you guys, girls, you know, it's uh, my kids, you know, I, I've learned a lot from them. Um, I've learned a lot from just helping them out by um, participating with them in certain activities Got to know a lot of people through uh, you girls, you know, and your friends and relatives or not their relatives, but friends and and their relatives, you know, and meeting other, you know, Navajos that are going to Stanford and meeting their parents, you know, and got to expand my circle. And so those that those are some of the things that I really enjoyed, you know, and I, I, you know, I hope to continue to do that because I think just the lives of and the things that my kids are getting into really bring a lot of uh, new knowledge to me. In order to have a conversation with you girls about certain things, I have to be knowledgeable about those things sometimes, you know. So I'll take a little time to figure out. It's a good thing that we have Google, you know. I can always Google things, you know, figure out what the heck, what they're talking about. You know, what does this mean? They said something. You know, you know get on Google and figure out what they're talking about, get an idea so I can respond in a knowledgeable fashion. So in that sense, you know, I, I, I try to keep up with current trends and I, I follow a lot of native twitter you know and people there you know it's just amazing at some of the knowledge that some of these people have that you know they put out there and i learned a lot from those individuals and they happen to be native americans from different backgrounds you know so and that's where a lot of this stuff like um issues around land back and even blood quantum discussions over blood quantum and you know membership and different tri- indian nations native nations you know those type of issues and and just even the work that, you know, the artwork that is put out there, you know, that people are doing out there, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, uh, just what you can find on there. And and so 
So that's where I've been getting a lot of my knowledge. And, and I'm amazed at the number of Native Americans that are out there with PhDs, you know, and, and, and not just Navajos, but just from all over Native America, you know, and then First Nations of Canada. I follow some people who are just like very well educated and, and they put a lot of good stuff out there, which, you know, I think helps me in my everyday life dealing with issues out here, you know, helping address, you know, being knowledgeable, you know, addressing issues, you know, and how to go about it, you know, this is just, just the way it is, you know, and you can find a lot of trash out there too, but, um, but then again, you know, you kind of got to pick your, pick who you want to follow. And, and so hopefully I'm following the right people, you know, and, and so it seems, you know, and I, I look at what you girls follow too, you know, and then follow some of those people, you know, so in a sense in similar circles. I feel like I need to um, follow this up here with, okay, boomer with all of those things said, I'm just kidding though. But um, with dad, with all of that said, you know, obviously being a dad and being a Che is a big part of who you are. And it's really interesting to hear how you navigate again, being, you know, a traditional modern Navajo. And I'm just wondering, I know that your older siblings, especially your older sisters, well, I guess you only have older sisters, everybody else is, is younger, but what's a teaching that you could leave us with or, viewers or listeners that you want them to know about that you've learned and what's affected you in your life? I think a lot of it, you know, and probably over the last probably like five years or so, I've been really drawn to this idea of reconciling traditional knowledge, traditional ways of doing things, traditional ceremonies with modern day. And I've come to realize that a lot of those traditional knowledge, a lot of the ceremonies, they're still relevant today, very relevant today. Um, to help us, you know, address some of the issues that we deal with out in the world. And, and part of that is that this, how we deal with change, you know, we all talk about change and the things that happen in this world, not just in our little worlds, but in the larger world world and, you know, things that happen out there and how to, how we deal with those changes that occur. And and I, it takes me back to, you know, um, some of the Navajo traditional stuff about uh, the beauty way and the, the idea of beauty way, you know, how one maintains that concept of hojonji, you know, and of that balance, you know, that it calls for, you know, because, you know, in, in, in a fast changing world, you know, in order to be happy, in order to be content, you have to be able to negotiate change. Can't be in setting our ways too much anymore. It seems like, you know, we have to make adjustments. And, and I think that those are some things that I find very important. And I I, I, link, I go back to traditional Navajo ways of doing things, you know, ceremonies, especially and prayer, making offerings to things, you know, to the natural world and to help us deal with what happens in the world, you know, with COVID, you know, and the loss of our lot of our loved ones, uh, with just currently, you know, a change in leadership in, Windows, in Washington, D.C., you know, those type of things, you know, and how do we make those adjustments? And, you know, working for the BIA, you know, I've worked for a number of different administrations now. You know, I've been working with BIA for going on 23 years now. And it affects me every four years, things change and got to make adjustments. And to me, in order for us to be happy, in order for us to move forward, we have to be able to make those changes, to make, to make adjustments. I think those are some things. If we can do that, if we can find whatever that is, we all deal with things differently. And obviously we deal with change differently, you know? So those are some things that uh, I think I've come to realize, you know, in recent times that in order to be happy, you have to be able to negotiate change, figure out how to make your adjustments. 
sometimes you have to make adjustments. Sometimes you're given the luxury of making changes over a period of time. So um, as the way the world is today with, with social media, internet, the way communication is really quick now, you have to process stuff, process that stuff quickly. I, and I'm sure this is the same with other Native American beliefs. Those beliefs help us deal with those situations. Talk about trauma you know, as, as Native nations, the trauma that we've gone through, uh, generational trauma, those type of things, those things that, you know, people talk about. You know, when, when I deal with those things, you know, you talk about all these changes in my life, you know, going from being a res kid, you know, being uh, in the situation that I was going to California and then also eventually, you know, going out to the world, going to college. I mean, by the way, I do have a college degree. You know, I've got a bachelor's degree in um, biology with an emphasis in agriculture from the Southern Utah University back in the day when it was called Southern Utah State College. Um, but and my sisters, my older sister, they all have master's degrees. Two of my sisters are um, working in education systems, and uh, my other, my older sister, she's a, got a, um, a master master social work and um, does social work within the Navajo Department of Workforce Development. So you know, my sisters, my older sisters, they're all very well educated, and and me with just a bachelor's degree, you know, I made my been able to make I think do okay. And but I you know I feel like um, once I got in college was when my real education started. You know. All, all my degree did was uh, help me put a foot in the door, you know, got in and got some jobs that I was enjoyed. I really grew them and learned a lot of things. And even today, you know, I uh, started off as natural resource specialist and now I'm a natural resource manager. And I, and every day I think I learn, you know, and I make adjustments, I make change, you know. Yeah, I'm setting, setting my ways in certain aspects of my life, you know, that brings stability in my life but then at the same time um, there's a lot of things that are out there that make a change you know and so i also you know that, that, that i feel like yeah, that's what one of my roles today as a um, as an elder you know i really didn't realize i was an elder till probably about a year or two ago all of a sudden people started so we gave you a mic probably, yeah till somebody gave me a mic and i realized i was had become an elder you know and so even that took a little bit of a you know getting used to it you know and, but I was happy to take on that role once I understood a little bit of it and, and probably don't completely understand it just yet, but I still you know, feel like, hey, I, I'm, it's my turn to be an elder. And so I, you know, I tell my kids, you know, go out and do the things that you need to do. I, I, will, I will be here, you know, and if you need me, you need to come home, you know, out in the world, do uh, all, all the, amongst all the craziness. And if you ever need to uh, find refuge, come home. And I feel like this, that's, you know, the way it is with a lot of our kids these days, you know, that's what I try to maintain out here, a place for my kids and hopefully my grandkids could seek refuge if they ever need to. But I also hope that some of them come back to live on the res and carry on the work, you know, and be here uh, to actually, you know, be leaders and take on leadership roles out here, you know, among the communities out here, because definitely we need it. At least I, th I think the jobs that I've had within Navajo Nation and then within the BIA has always been in the field out, out in the field offices out here working with the you know the people who live out in the land and and I think I've through that I've grown a lot I know I know a lot you know so I really do appreciate all those people who've come into my life you know through throughout the time I've been out here you know who taught me and some of them through might have disagreed at the beginning you know on how to do a certain thing but towards the end you know uh, realize I realized that I through those disagreements and arguments, whatever, I've learned something, you know. So I'm always out there looking at it, 
and and that's where I tell people, you know, yeah, I might start off as a biologist, but today I see myself more of as an ecologist. You know, I look out and and I look at the systems that are at work, the systems that are at play, not just the natural system in the natural world, but among us humans too. You know, how we interact with each other, how we, you know, in our communities, uh, how we do certain things. And I look at Navajo Nation government and how that works and their form of government, you know, their, their fundamental law that they've adopted and things like that. And then I look at the federal government systems and how they work and, and how, you know, through that knowledge, I'm hoping that I help to somebody, help to some of these younger people. So they're not, they don't have to go out and learn all this stuff all over again to, you know, have a foundation, you know. So anybody who's out there um, listening to this, you know, and would like, you know, just have a discussion you know because that's one of the that's one of the parts other parts of my job that i like is being in my office you know i get calls from all over the place you know with all kinds of situations you know people just want information about navajos sometimes they'll want information about this or that about how to on the res you know and i just you know take some time to talk to people you know and some of these are just one-time occurrences you know Somebody calls from France and wants information on this or that, or somebody remembers an old friend of theirs from way back when they were kids and wanting to know that, hey, they, they used to come out, they used to live out in Badaway Gap, they came from there. You know this person, or you know the whereabouts of these individuals. And I'll even get calls from that sort of a sad situation, law enforcement, social services from um, different places in the world where Native American kids are needing social in situations where they're needing social services and or law enforcement, you know, because they're, they're investigating somebody that's missing, you know. So those are some things that I deal with at, at work. You always have to be ready to answer those questions, you know, because even growing up and working with the communities out here, when you talk with an elders, they don't want us to know, I don't know, you know, come back in 15 minutes or come back tomorrow, I'll tell you, I'll let you know. You know, they want to know right now. They want they want your assistance right now. And they can't really, you know, they travel an hour and a half to come see you. You can't say, hey, come back tomorrow and they'll have an answer for you or things like that. See, so I, you have to have information for them right now. In a way, I being put in that situation has forced me to be full of information. Know, be knowledgeable about all kinds of stuff. Not just, you know, the traditional stuff, but Navajo ways, being out here on the land, but social systems, you know, knowing about just how we interact with each other, and things like that. Th- those are, you know, I think those are some things that I learned from my job, being out here every day, uh, working with the people, being amongst the, my, my, my relatives. It's been fun. I, I enjoy that work. I, it makes me happy. And I, I, those are the fun parts of my, my work and my life. You know, I, I enjoy putting it all out there, you know, sometimes. In a Navajo way, if you go to somebody for a ceremony or for maybe some knowledge, you know, you make an offering, you know, you say, you give it that person here, you know, I need your assistance. I need, I need you to share some knowledge with me. Here's an offering. And I always tell people, you know, I, federal government pays me already. You've already paid me for my services there. So therefore, I'm, I'm willing to share that information with everybody, whoever wants, whoever needs it, you know. So, um, well, thank hopefully. you. Thank Hopefully you I can impart the knowledge. Questions. No, it's been good. Um, thank you so much, Dad. All of that was really great. And we really appreciate your help and your support for the chapter house. So, Nana, thank you both so much. And I just want to encourage everybody to follow Tony Robbins. We'll put his 
um, Instagram here. You can see it on the bottom left. If you want to get more content, also hit up his Twitter. I'm a pretty old person when it comes to the Twitter elder there. But yeah, make sure to follow him and keep up with what he's doing. This was just a portion of his life. And again, the first of our series with Give an Elder a Mic. So thank you so much, Dad. Um, Thanks, and make Dad. Sure- yeah. 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 Yeah, and make sure to follow the Chapter House, obviously, um, on our Instagram, our Twitter, and check out our website. And if you didn't catch my dad's takeover of our Instagram, you can still check that out on our Instagram as well. So thank you so much. Um, and make sure to tune in again, y'all. Okay, hit. I got it. Okay, hit.